It's commonly said that no one who is in hell is surprised that they are in hell. No one who is in hell is surprised that they are in hell. I share that because they're not surprised they're in hell because there's something about their life on earth that is a hellish existence already. We know what heaven is. It's communion with God and communion with the saints, communion with all of Christ's body. And so hell is separation. And it's separation on earth even when someone wraps themselves in fine purple clothing, dines sumptuously each day, and has no material suffering. It's still hellish. So the rich man in this gospel that Jesus speaks of is in a sense living in hell on earth because he has clothed himself with enough comfort to separate himself from those in need. Now, this is a very difficult gospel to hear because normally when Jesus speaks about the kingdom, he tries to speak about the beauty of the kingdom, but sometimes he has to shake us and recognize, hey, hell is real, and you have not yet listened. So what can we learn from this, from this parable? What is it that Jesus asks of us? It comes into a little bit clearer focus when we heard that first reading. Uh, There are these men who the prophet speaks out against, who eat sumptuously, they recline at table, they apparently improv dance to music. That doesn't sound so bad, right? But what does sound bad is that they are not ill at the misfortune of Joseph. They are not ill at the misfortune of Joseph. Why would that be? Why would their hearts not rend with compassion? Why are they so content just to satisfy their own desires? It's because they've made a decision to separate themselves from them. It's a kind of hellish existence already. And it gets kind of tricky, right? I mean, Lazarus here is saying, well, if I knew that this poor rich man, sorry, the rich man is saying is, if I knew that this poor man, Lazarus, was outside of my door, and all I needed to do was give him the scraps, then I would have done it. And Jesus says to them, well, your family won't listen to Moses or the prophets. They won't believe someone who has risen from the dead. The irony here is that Jesus will rise from the dead and still people will neglect those in need next to them. It's interesting whenever we hear what the righteous say, because we're hearing what this rich man says, who is the damned, what the righteous say in Matthew 25 about those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are naked, those who are imprisoned. What the righteous don't say is, Lord, we saw you, and we clothed you, and we fed you, and we gave you money. They don't say that. They say, Lord, when did we see you? And the Lord said, you saw me when you clothed me, when you fed me, when you visited me. 
Sometimes we're asking God for enough conviction, enough sight to say, Lord, let me see Jesus in those who are difficult to love. Let me see Jesus in the poor. Jesus isn't asking us to do that. Jesus is asking us just to look at the poor and to treat them accordingly as they are Christ. We don't need enough clarity of vision. Even if Christ were to rise from the dead, which he has, would not be clear enough for us. Even if the poor man in front of us were to appear as a 33-year-old carpenter from Nazareth, perhaps still we would not serve them. What is needed then is faith at his word now. And this is something that we're not totally foreign to as Catholics. St. John Chrysostom talks about this kind of allegory, this connection between seeing Christ in the poor, but then seeing Christ in the Eucharist. If we can recognize Jesus Christ under the appearance of unleavened bread, if we can have those eyes of faith and to treat his body accordingly, I don't mean just to believe intellectually, but to treat his body accordingly with sincere Eucharistic reverence, that much easier, hopefully, can we treat those who are poor with the same kind of charity, even whenever we do not see it and we have only the Lord's word to trust. And so then, who are the poor? A lot of times in America, we don't have the materially poor. Mother Teresa has said as much. But we do have those who not wait on our doorstep and like Lazarus, maybe not looking for the scraps of our food, but are looking for scraps of our attention. They could at least deal with the scraps of our attention. That would be enough. What God is asking of us is not to say that we have to become best friends with those who are most difficult. He said to to the rich man, he would have been content with the scraps at his door. He would have been content with the crumbs. But to separate myself out of an inconvenience is a hellish existence. So I want to end with just this quote. It's often, it's uh, commonly read from C.S. Lewis. He says this about love. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Within this sacred liturgy, the Lord will enter into our hearts in that same hiddenness, hoping, trusting that gift of charity to us that we will do likewise and find him hidden in our neighbor who begs for us.